first signs that something big was happening came a little after noon on Friday, when the army and police deployed across Oman. With the region on the edge after the United States killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani on January 3rd, and Iran responded with rockets on US positions in Iraq, many assumed the sudden deployment was related. Then at 4am, smartphones across the country, from Salalah to Musandam, began to light up with the first flush of rumours. Many rushed their radios and televisions for confirmation. When regular overnight programming stopped and television stations started broadcasting the Quran, it became obvious. Sultan Qaboos was dead. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're talking about the life of Sultan Qaboos and what's next for Oman as it looks to the future. Here's Halid Rappi talking about the moment that he heard the news. We still actually, we still on the shock of of what's happening. Um, uh, I remember it was early in the morning because I'm a morning person. When I wake up around uh, 5:30, um, I've received um, a message from a friend saying, "On so it happened." So, uh, and when I checked everything, it was. Um, it was true, so I took my time to think of what's going on because I need to tell my kids and my wife of the sad news as well. And I, uh, and and then I definitely slowly somehow I I managed to tell them what's going on, and they were really sad. The kids were crying literally. Um, the country also, I mean, the the area where I live, it does feel kind of quiet, not normal, not like every day's normal thing. So um, it was it was kind of a sad uh, moment, to be honest. The Middle East's longest-serving ruler, Sultan Qaboos, led Oman for nearly 50 years, transforming the country into a modern state. When he took power in 1970, the country only had 12 hospital beds six miles of surfaced roads and three primary schools, all for boys. Radios were banned and civilians were not allowed to drive. In Muscat, the city gates were shut every evening and residents had to carry a lantern if they went out after dark. In 1990, the literacy rates among Omani adults was only 54%. Today, it's at 95%. But today, the Sultanate is very different. A tourist hotspot, a vibrant Gulf state at home, and a crucial regional mediator overseas, thanks to Sultan Qaboos' shrewd diplomacy and even-handed arbitration. For most Omanis, Sultan Qaboos was the embodiment of their country, a stable leader who brought development and change, but not at the cost of the country's culture and its people. Oh, he means everything to us. Um, Sultan Qaboos is the... uh, basically is a father for the nation and and the way we look at him is basically the um is everything that Oman represents today um Sultan Qaboos since since I born as well even before uh, we grew up that um this great man was there side by side with us um trying to lift us up uh, from everything education hospital um um 
encouragement and and so many projects so many projects within the country has happened because of this great man his majesty has contributed so much to the country and for every and each and every individual in this country as well Oman is also home to a large community of expatriates who have lived in the country for generations while not Omani by nationality many say they feel the loss just the same you only have to look over Mutra, the old capital, where you can see the coast and the town beautifully cradled by the mountain range. Why? Because Kabus made a decree that all buildings in Oman should be low-lying. That would ensure that the beautiful natural landscape would not be blocked or marred by skyscrapers, therefore putting the beauty of his land before money. Expats like me, who were so fortunate to live in Oman, loved him just as much. Lisa Morgan lived in Oman for seven years. And the singer and music teacher went so far as to write a song about Sultan Qaboos. But as Khaled pointed out, Sultan Qaboos promoted Omani culture and traditions, preserving a unique way of life while still embracing international arts and culture. The Royal Opera House in Muscat is renowned. He, he made things that which could seems to be impossible possible. And in the cultural way, he has contributed a lot by building opera houses and introducing a beautiful, beautiful culture to the to the to the Oman nation. Also, he kept intact the culture of Omanis as it is since the very beginning. Uh, we Omani very proud of our dresses, very proud of our culture, very proud of our tradition, so we kept it as it is, so we never actually going to forget that. And it's amazing to see that in this part of the world, um, um, country can still keep their culture the way as it did since the very beginning, and, and that's actually we're going to carry on forever, I think. While a lover of the arts, he was also a savvy political operator. Ahmed al makaini an Omani public policy analyst, says that Sultan Qaboos spent his early years bringing together a divided nation. He ended the Dofar Rebellion, a guerrilla insurgency armed by his enemies and supplied by the Marxist leadership in neighbouring southern Yemen. He managed to unite a divided country uh, that had at least two uh, systems of governance uh, in the interior and in the coastal area and made one single solid country. Um, he really managed to make the Omanis think as Omanis, not as tribes or regional uh, factions. Um, he also um, had significant impact on bringing people into modern uh, lifestyle where free access to education, health, water, I mean, safe water um, and security. Uh, for that, he would always be remembered uh, for, the, for being able to bring Oman very quickly uh, to the reign of uh, 20th century uh, governments and countries. Sultan Qaboos built a system of governance with consultative and state councils that represented the many tribes and families in the country. These bodies had real power and authority to enact policies and make recommendations to the country's rulers. But Oman wasn't immune to the Arab uprisings. In response to protests in 2011, Sultan Qaboos replaced ministers and vowed to create 50,000 public sector jobs. He pursued cautious reforms, such as broadening the power of the Shura councils, but maintained a tight control on the press. 
The country also focused on corruption, a major complaint of those on the streets. He signed the UN Convention Against Corruption and increased the powers of the state auditor to investigate suspect cases. Several public officials and private sector executives were referred to prosecution and at least 30 were handed sentences between 1 and 23 years. Ahmed Al-Wahaibi, the CEO of the state-owned Oman oil company, was charged with taking $8 million in bribes, abuse of office and money laundering. He was then prosecuted and handed a 23-year jail sentence. Analysts at the time highlighted that in a difficult period for the region, as revolutions turned to war in Libya and Syria, Oman was listening to the complaints of the people and attempting to make some changes. The main challenges His Majesty Qafstan Qabus faced um, was the different aspirations uh, that were expressed by different people in his own uh, government, as well as the people, the society. We, had, uh, we have people here who would like to have a very slow, gradual growth and development, and we have young, zealous people who would like to actually have much faster uh, pace of development. He managed always to strike a balance. He managed always to strike uh, a good, favorable, you know, an equitable treatment to all uh, religion, gro- religious groups uh, and uh, cultural uh, groups living in the country. Under Sultan Qaboos, Oman has played an oversized role in region and world politics. Omani diplomats and the Sultan himself have long been at the heart of diplomatic breakthroughs. When the Houthi rebels in Yemen flew to Sweden for the first sit-down meeting with government officials in two years, the only transport they would accept was an Oman air flight. When the United States wanted to open talks with Iran that led in 2015 to the signing of the nuclear deal with world powers, it was Sultan Qaboos, who then Secretary of State John Kerry, approached. Muscat was the location for the first direct meeting between US and Iranian officials in July 2012, and Qaboos went on to host dozens of rounds of talks. But it wasn't just words. Under the terms of the nuclear deal, which the US walked away from in 2018, threatening to unravel the agreement, Iran was bound by strict limits on uranium enrichment and the materials needed to do so. But Iran was able to ship any excess heavy water a key ingredient in this process, above those limits, to Oman for storage until they could be sold. The Sultan fostered close links with the international community, but no country more so than the UK. The UK played a vital role in the Sultan's battle to end the 14-year rebellion in the southern Dofar region in 1976. They deployed the elite special air service to aid in the counterinsurgency fight against the uprising. The campaign became a blueprint for how the British Army looked at fighting insurgencies for decades. And the operation cemented the existing relationship that has remained strong ever since. Today, the UK is constructing a major naval base in Oman, along the geographically strategic Hormuz Strait. Prince Charles, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Defence Minister Ben Wallace, and the Chief of the Defence Staff, Sir Nick Carter, arrived in Muscat to pay respects the day after Caboose's funeral. This delegation shows the importance with which the UK sees its ties to Oman. Omanis and the Omani civilization have always been a connector and a mediator for at least 6,000 years ago. And he just managed to actually invoke that role once again. 
his principles were really based on non-interference in other countries' affairs and mutual respect. And his uh, vision was, if we make sure that our, surrounding, uh, uh, our surroundings are peaceful, uh, we would then be uh, peaceful, and that is the perfect recipe uh, for development. And that's why His Majesty, from day one, uh, sought uh, and sent a, sent a mission of peace and friendship to a lot of uh, Arab countries and foreign countries, reassuring them of Oman's position vis-à-vis their own affairs. And because of that also, Oman, under His Majesty's Bankabu's uh, vision and leadership, managed to stay away from uh, regional conflicts as well as global conflicts. Uh, so, for example, Oman was the only country that uh, maintained relationship with uh, Egypt uh, when they actually signed the Camp David Accord. Oman uh, has managed to actually steer away from the uh, Gulf War, uh, from now the conflict in Yemen, and, and most recently brokered an agreement between Iran and uh, uh, the UN and uh, various countries uh, in the global arena. Uh, Oman's uh, activities in peace went even beyond that in terms of uh, pushing for an environment-friendly agenda and have been very active in promoting uh, uh, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Sultan Qaboos had been ill for some time when he passed away on January 10th. Unmarried and with no natural heir, there were concerns that his passing would create a crisis. Many financial rating agencies often highlighted the opaque succession process as a notable factor. But on January 11th, Sultan bin Mohammed, the Minister of the Royal Office, opened a letter in front of senior government and military officials and the heads of the Omani families in footage broadcast on television. Inside was the name of Sultan Qaboos's cousin, Haitham bin Tariq al-Sayed the man to take over. The swift and smooth transition came as a relief. The 66-year-old Sultan Haitham, an Oxford graduate and career diplomat, has served in a range of official positions in the Foreign Ministry and the Culture Ministry. He's well known both regionally and on the global stage and is often seen meeting world leaders off planes in Muscat Airport or representing the Sultanate abroad. In his first remarks after being sworn in on Saturday, he vowed to continue the journey of his predecessor. Well, uh, His Majesty Sultan Haitham brings a lot to the new role. Um, he brings a new vision, a new perspective. Um, as you might know, he is the leader of the Oman 2040 Vision Project. Uh, so he has been working on bringing Oman to a new frontier uh, and promising a new Oman for the younger generation. Um, his uh, foreign uh, policy and foreign you know, kind of service uh, experience uh, really put him in a very good position to continue the role of His Majesty and the vision of His Majesty Sultan Qaboos in continuing the Omani peaceful mediation and being a beacon of uh, peace in the region. Uh, thirdly and most importantly, uh, so His Majesty Sultan uh, Haitham has been actually going through the ranks. So he, he has not been just gone into one higher position. So he knows how decisions are made in government. He knows how governments are run, and he knows the various uh, political apparatus in the country. Uh, so he comes from that rich background, which will allow him to manage the country well and understand where the loopholes are, if there is, 
uh, and uh, fix them. But Oman also faces many challenges in the coming years. The country is heavily reliant on income from oil revenue, and the slump in global prices in recent years has left a hole in the state's budget at a time when the country is facing a bulging youth population seeking work, education and welfare. While the government has been working to diversify the economy, economic growth remains sluggish. Strict laws on Omanization, designed to push Omanis into work, have been slow to come to fruition. And while the policy is aimed at boosting employment, some economists have cautioned that it might hamper international investment or dissuade foreign companies thinking of locating to the country. These are challenges that Sultan Haitham will have to navigate in the years to come. But a time when the US and Iran are seemingly again at the brink of war, the role of Oman as a quiet diplomat may be vital to stepping the region back from the brink. Thanks this week to Ahmed Al-Makaini, Khaled Al-Rahbi and Lisa Morgan. We were produced this week by Taylor Heyman, Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison. If you want to get every episode of Beyond the Headlines as soon as it comes out, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. If you can leave us a review, that would also be great. 